Hey, this is Brandon McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. Everybody, welcome back to the scoop. This is season six, episode eighteen of AlScoop.com's podcast. I'm John DeCarlo. Sam Newman and Sam Cohn are with me again. No Kyle Gauss this week. We'll look forward to having him back next week. Uh, but no uh, Kyle giving you crap for saying his name last. Yeah, he's maybe he's drawn that out for as long as he has. <laughs> but you never never underestimate Kyle. He's always got something up his sleeve. So uh, do that, or he's so upset that his name was going to be last. He's like, you know, I'm just not going to make the podcast today. I'm going to sit this maybe, one out. Yeah, maybe, it's, uh, maybe he's taking <laughs> it's a, a stand. It's a grudge he's holding. It's a grudge absence. It's a spite absence. <laughs> personal, he could, for personal reasons. Maybe he'll start a spite podcast. <laughs> Starts a rival podcast. Uh, With yeah, Jim Beheim. Oh, God, yeah. Um, <laughs> you guys watch Curb at all? Yes, I love I've Curb. I've seen a little bit of it. And Larry started the, the, spite, the spite, what was it, the Spite Bakery, Spite Deli, the, the coffee place? Yeah, the Spike Coffee Shop. Yeah, yeah, maybe Kyle's on his way to starting a Spike podcast, which would frighten me, to be honest with you. But uh, no, probably not. He'll be back with us next week, we hope. Uh, yeah, we recorded this week on a Thursday. Thought it might be better to talk to you guys after a Temple basketball game. And here we are. Sam Cohn uh, was on site down at the Lee Chorus Center for us today to cover Temple's 62-55 win over UCF for Temple's first conference win that puts them at two and three on the season. We will talk some football a little bit later and of course get to your mailbag questions, but let's get to this basketball game first. Uh, Again, just an important, simple first step for Temple to get its first conference win. Uh, Damian Dunn led the team with 20 points. We saw some more good stuff out of Jeremiah Williams, some good stuff late in the game from, from Jake Forrester who had struggled earlier in the game. Uh, 10 second half points from Dre Perry. Sam, you were down there. What, what, what did you see in this one? Um, I, I think my, my biggest takeaway from this game uh, was, and I think the, the quickest thing to point to is the difference between the first half and the second half. The first half, both teams um, looked a bit sluggish, kind of at both ends of the floor. And I, John, you might've been the one to mention this uh, in our text chat that um, both teams look like teams that really haven't had much experience. So Temple and UCF entering this game um, played the two fewest games of any team in the American Athletic Conference. Entering this game, Temple had played just four and UCF had played six. So both, again, both teams are looking like teams that hadn't had the practice time that maybe other opponents in the American, other conference opponents have had. And UCF came in this game on a two-game skid. They lost their last two to USF and I believe it was Cincinnati, uh, maybe Houston. But anyway, they lost their last two. Temple obviously has lost their first three conference games. Um, so to start this game, both teams looked a little bit sluggish in terms of like not really having things figured out. And that gets me to my point about my biggest takeaway from this game was that stretch in the second half, um, particularly kind of coming out of the break. And then you have the Dre Perry breakaway dunk and things kind of just fall into place for them in terms of they get on this role where things just start to click. And that's been a huge conversation that, or a huge narrative piece almost about this team hasn't yet figured it out. They haven't had the practice time. They've dealt with team pauses. They have a lot of new pieces. They're not going to like, it's going to take time to figure that stuff out. I think today we saw a glimpse, just a glimpse of like what that looks like for them when they can figure it out. And I asked Aaron McKee after the game, like, what do you feel? Where do you feel like you're at chemistry wise now compared to where you were at the beginning of the season? And he said, 
obviously like they're not where they want to be. They still have things they need to, you know, tweak and they still have things they need to improve on. But if you ask me, and I think a lot, I think I speak for all of us that like, this was a, this was a good glimpse of kind of what they can be. And this was a glimpse in terms of like how well they can play when things are clicking, just knowing where guys are on the floor, having like good help team defense, figuring things out that I think that was my biggest takeaway today was just like things, the chemistry was, it was visibly better than it has been. Yeah. I mean, just go off your point there. I mean, I think the ball movement was just fantastic that they were getting there. Obviously, I mean, they weren't perfect. I think you would like to see Brent Brendan Barry have more than six points in a game and, and, you know, shoot better, but I feel like that'll come with time. You know, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Williams and Damian Dunn are still getting their feet wet as scores. Um, you know, JP Mormon and, and, and Dre Perry, obviously, you know, secondary options at this point, but um, in terms of being scores, one of them is a facilitator facilitator. Dre can, you know, turn it on when he needs to. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, I feel like there's just glimpses of encouraging signs. And I, and I think obviously that, you know, you're kind of just getting the mold of what this team wants to be, but they're not fully there yet. Yeah. Another, this might be a, a, a small thing to pick at, but or not to pick up, but to point out, you know, Brendan Barry, obviously, I mean, we, we can see what happens when, when teams adjust to him. I mean, like he played 30 minutes. He's one of he's literally one of the top shooters in the country right now. So again, he only gets you six points today, but he only took, he took four shots all from, from three point range. Uh, but, and he gets you three assists. He turned it over twice, but it might seem like a small thing, but he's not forcing the issue. He's not trying to, he's not even trying to force the issue where he tries to like lean into contact or anything like that. He's kind of, kind of smartly looking around and say, okay, teams are closing out on me a little bit more or denying me the ball. So I'm not going to force it. And I might make that extra pass to, a Jeremiah Williams, um, uh, a Damian Don. Again, I think we, we talked about this. We'd love to see what this team's going to look like when they get Caliph battle and in the future, and it might be the the distant future next season. If, if that's when Jaleel white and Sage Tolbert finally play for them. But even if, if Brendan Barry only got you six points today, it was a smart six points. He didn't force the issue, but again, he, he helps you out with, with spacing, with the way he's able to shoot the ball. And again, I, I just think, you know, are the, the fans on our, our message board might might say otherwise if you ever check out one of the, the early game threads. But I, I just like you guys, I quite simply see a team that's just starting to put the pieces together. And Aaron McKee has said that. I mean, sometimes you just have to take a very, very realistic, very practical view of things. They're a two and three team, but I, in my humble opinion, the roster is so much better than it was last year. You can see what's taking shape, you know, with the exception of maybe, you know, Brendan Barry. Ty Strickland, and obviously in the future, a kid like Hasir Miller, who's not a you know he's not a six five six six type of guard. They have length and athleticism all over the place. Uh, again, I'd love to see what Sage Tolbert can do for him in the future. I'd love to see what any sort of grad transfer big could potentially do for them next year. But I, I think the pieces are there. Uh, Sam, you pointed out the ball movement was was better. I think it's been better. There have been times where they have really moved the ball well, and there's been a purpose to what they're doing. And sometimes it just looks like there is. Uh, a lid on the basket, you know, even saw the one sequence from, from Quincy Adam McCoya where him, he had that one bad miss. He stuck with it on the possession, drained that three. I think guys are just trying to settle into their roles and finding them. There's not, what we're not seeing this year is as much of, of, you know, the type of thing where a guy like Quentin Rose is holding the ball. Um, you know, they are moving it around. They have multiple guys who can score. You know, Dre Perry wasn't a factor in the first half. He gets 10 in the second half. I think there are a lot of good signs. Again, they're a two and three team. I don't want to, you know, oversell what they are, but 
I think you can kind of see the vision that that Aaron wanted. It's starting to take shape. It's nowhere near there yet, but I don't know. They, they beat a pretty good team today. I mean, this is, this was a UCF team that, that beat Florida state earlier in the year. They did beat Cincinnati. They lost to Houston, but they've got some pieces and, you know, they, they started to catch up in the second half, but you know, you, you, they held their, you know, they held their leading score in check. So I, 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 I'd have to say, I like what I saw today. Uh, I think also too, I think I, asked uh i think i asked jp the you know obviously you you, you want to win this game in in tighter fashion down the stretch you don't want to almost blow that 10 point lead but you know there might be something to be said for you know squeaking out a game like this where you you miss a few front ends of ones and ones and and then you hold on to to hit some foul shots down the stretch and jp said ah we never really felt like the game w- was out of reach there and that could as cliche as it sounds like build some character for a team like this where you have some, so many new pieces and parts yeah, John, I, I want to get to – we'll circle back kind of to, to what happened kind of at the end of the game and how that – what that kind of means for this team and the, the opportunity they were given. But just to go back to your point about the offense, I think it's interesting to think about um, – obviously no two offensive possessions are the same, but the, when you talk about um, like how much more – I don't want to use the word fun, but just like more how, how much more freely this offense plays the, as opposed to last year's roster. You mentioned not having guys – uh, swallow up the ball. You don't have you don't have as much isolation ball. You have a lot of really great ball movement. The two faults they find themselves in are either over passing, passing the ball too yeah. much, find themselves, um, you know, running out the shot clock or having to chuck something up at the last second that's maybe not the shot they want. And they also find themselves settling for for not great shots sometimes. They'll they'll make a couple passes and then um, the ball will like there will be one more pass they could make or there there will be guys will be in a mid range spot in a position where they could take a shot with 20 seconds left, 24 seconds left on the shot clock. And they take the shot that maybe is not the best shot, but they're settling for something quick. And the offense does move quickly. That is, that is something Aaron McKee wants, but you have faults on either side. When they find that happy medium of making the right passes, making the right decisions, having uh, movement off the ball, this offense flows really, really well. And I, that, that's when they find success. And I think we saw a decent amount of that today. And that's when they're going to pull out wins in conference play. All right, so Sam, you mentioned the, the better ball movement. That's something that J.P. Mormon was asked about, and you can hear in this clip here, he just talks about them having fun. That's part of that's part of the fun part of the game is, is sharing the ball and, and getting the win at the end of the day. And I think we can all agree that J.P. also looks like somebody who's just a lot more comfortable in whatever they're doing offensively now when it comes to facilitating. Again, his 13 rebounds were, were big today. He made some big plays for him. But here's J.P. Mormon talking about, again, them just – having fun sharing the basketball yeah man we just started having fun out there and getting stops um that's how you have fun in basketball you start to get stops start to get out transition and then that the ball finds energy when you start to move it and share it so um i think that was the main thing today we, we share the ball and that's the fun part of basketball and then once you're having fun on the offensive end it carries right over to the defensive end all right so again there's jp mormon had 13 rebounds today We'll talk about what happened at the end of the game there. UCF went on, what, a 7-0 run to, to start making things interesting after they had gone almost seven minutes without scoring. Uh, things get hectic there. It's 58-53 at one point, then it's 58-55. Uh, yeah, JP actually missed the front end of a one-on-one. Uh, Jake Forrester missed the front end of a one-on-one earlier than that. Uh, obviously we're having a completely different dialogue today if things did completely come unravel. But again, uh, JP Mormon had said that they never really felt like the game was in doubt there. We'll see if this does build a little character for them. Sam, again, you were down there. What, what did you see uh, in terms of them staying composed down the stretch there? Well, I think like 
as a whole, it's not easy to stay composed and keep the energy in when there's no fans. I think through most of the first half, as I was mentioning, things were a bit almost sluggish and they're making a lot of mistakes. Like that's when the game felt just the gym just felt eerie. There wasn't much energy. There wasn't much life in the gym. As you get to the second half, when Temple starts to play better, when the game becomes more competitive, they are, they're still trading buckets, but there's a little bit more of an intensity to the game um, later in that second half. And then you get down the stretch and when UCF cuts that deficit, they bring it within three, you start to think, okay, we might be in shape for, you know, what could be an interesting ending. Um, I'd almost tweeted out, but I backtracked because we weren't going to be in that situation that Aaron McKee has been known for made it clear that when he's in positions where it's coming down to the last shot or coming out of the kind of the final possessions, he's not going to be the coach that's going to call a timeout, draw things up, slow things down because he doesn't want the other team to have a chance to get set. And he, he trusts what his guys do in practice. It didn't get that far. It didn't get down to that scenario because Jeremiah Williams and Damian Dunn are both able to knock down free throws, but a couple huge defensive stops from, uh, from Temple. There was one play where JP Mormon had the ball, like grabbed a rebound. It was kind of, or a steal maybe it was falling back and then fell out of bounds. And it was the kind of thing where if he does, um, if he stays in bounds, that's, you know, that wraps things up quicker. But he falls out. It's UCF ball with maybe 24.4 on the clock, I think it was. And then it's just like really great help defense from Temple is pretty much what closed out the game. Uh, JP Mormon comes up with a big rebound. They slow the ball. They don't push the pace at all. They get the ball into the hands of someone that can knock down free throws. Like just having that cohesive play, understanding where guys are on the floor again, and like having that help defense made all the difference in the world. Sam, I want to talk to you uh, a, a little bit more, and I probably sound like I'm starting the Jeremiah Williams fan club, but I'm going to talk more about him. Um, how much credit do you give today to him for um, what the, the final results were with Brandon Mahan? Again, UCF's leading scorer. Uh, now, again, you know Isaiah Adams gets 17. Darren Green Jr. gets 17. Both those guys hit some big shots, particularly in the second half, to keep them involved. But Brandon Mahan goes one of nine from the floor, 0 of three from three-point range. Did have seven assists, so he affected the game in that way. But um, I, I want to make a couple more points about Jeremiah. But again, he's been solid on the defensive end. How much credit do you give him to, to what happened there today? I would say about 50-50 because Damian Dunn guarded him out of the gate. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you exactly how much of the game Jeremiah was on him. I know Damian Dunn was on him for a decent portion of the game. Mm -hmm. J.P. Mormon had mentioned in media availability the other day that he like that um, Damian Dunn's defense has been a little bit overlooked lately. That Jeremiah's really been the guy that everyone looks to because he's been the one against Kendrick Davis and against Houston's guard, whose name I'm blanking on. Doesn't matter. But he's been the guy. So yeah. Um, so J Jeremiah Williams has been the guy to step up, six five guard. He's been the one to take on the opposing team's best player. Uh, and I didn't mean to shortchange Damian for what he did on him too. Again, he spent. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. Um, so, he's, so Jeremiah's generally been the one to step up. Today, Damian, for a good portion of the game, was the one to really shut him down. Um, Jeremiah does have the length uh, and does have the size advantage on Damian, but Damian did a nice job shutting him down. Temple did opt for a little bit of 2-3 defense at one point. Um, but for the most part, like those, those two guards have really, Jeremiah and Damian, for a freshman and a redshirt freshman, have been impressive on defense against some of the best scorers in the American. I mean, they've Temple four games into its season, three games into it, I guess now four games into his conference schedule has played two of the top um, scores in the conference. They've dealt, they're, they're dealing with some really, really strong scores and they're making these guys lives difficult. And that's one thing that Aaron McKee said, we just want to wreak havoc, want to create chaos. We might want to make these guys lives difficult defensively. So 
having those two guys in your backcourt um, has been really helpful at the defensive end for them. Well, what did we say coming into this season? We said that, you know, Temple, are they going to win the conference? Probably not, but they're going to be a tough matchup defensively. And, and I think that's what we've seen so far. And even if they're playing small ball, I know that that, that more has to do with what the matchups that they're going with. It still seems like it's, it's pretty working with them, even with JP at the five. And I know we talked about how that might be a little bit concerning and against bigger teams, it's going to be, he, I mean, he grabbed a, um, he tied a career high with 13 rebounds today. I, I think I, I, you kind of like what you see from the small ball, but I also think McKee is indicated. They're not getting what they need out of their bigs. I mean, Jake, I don't, remember how many minutes Jake played today, but he wasn't effective. And then you saw guys like Nick Jordan and Arashima Parks not even check in. So, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I, I feel like, you know, their identity is going to come through defense and everything is going to work its way out from there. But the fact that they're able to, you know, pretty much just deny um, one of the better scores in the conference day it was pretty impressive to me. Yeah, Jake went, Jake Forrester played 27 minutes, did start again, went two six from the floor grabbed five rebounds, kind of teetered there in foul trouble with, with four personal fouls, had two turnovers. Um, again, it got going a little bit. He hit that, hit that one bank shot, that one important shot off the glass in the second half that, that, that helped them out. But overall, UCF shoots just 32.8% from the field, uh, 31% in the first half, 34%, nearly 35% in the second half, uh, seven of 19 from three. But again, I mean, again, you know, Aaron McKee, I think at one point in the press or said, you know, we could be better at every end of the floor. Uh, I, I do chalk some of this up to, you know, both teams being rusty again, neither one of them, you know, Sam has said they've played be- between Temple and UCF, the, the two teams that have played the fewest games this season, but uh, the numbers are what they are. And there's a, there's a good defensive effort there. And, and getting back to Jeremiah Williams, another game where he plays 30 plus minutes, played 30 minutes, another double figure scoring game for him, 12 points, on three of five shooting, one of two from three, five of seven from the line, grabs three boards, four assists to just one turnover and three steals. So uh, affecting the game again. For me, you know, I didn't ask Aaron this. I felt like it kind of would have sounded like a little bit of a cliche question because there are there are multiple guys, obviously, that are handling the ball in this offense or really any college offense now. But uh, to me, this is the first time that Aaron's really getting his hands on a point guard from from day one. Now, obviously, even when he was an assistant with Fran Dunphy, he was involved in Nate Pierre Louise recruitment and Nate didn't end up being a true point, but it's kind of fun hearing Aaron talk about a guard from the get go. And he's got a little bit of Cheney in him where he's not, I mean, he's not as boisterous as John Cheney was, but even after good games, um, sometimes after really good games, that's when Cheney would be at his finest. He'd rip his team a new one and just to keep them humble. But again, not to say that the Temple won by 25 today and they were a completely flawless basketball team. They were far from it, but they got their first conference win. And Aaron was kind of like, yeah, you know, a lot of the answers was like, yeah, could be better, could be better, could be better. You know, Jeremiah could be doing this more, could be doing this for, but, but, I, but I think secretly, or maybe not so much secretly, I think Aaron's got to be really pleased with, what he is seeing from him again. I mean, those, those are, those are good numbers. And I think we've talked about this before. Chris Clark has been with us at least once on the podcast last week where he's, he's not the best shooter on the team, but I don't see a broken shot with Jeremiah Williams. It looks like he shoots the ball pretty cleanly, hit a three today. And again, just more good basketball out of him. And just to go back what you were talking about post game, Aaron McKee was asked, you know, it, it kind of sees like, you know, 
Jeremiah's kind of arrived, you know, the game's not too big for him, that sort of stuff. And he's, Aaron was like, yeah, I thought he was okay, that sort of stuff. But then he went out of his way to say that he thought he was tremendous defensively. So um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but anytime somebody asks him about Jeremiah, his eyes kind of just like light up a little bit. You know, you can tell that they're excited about his potential. Well, that, I mean, it's, it has had the chain effect in a couple of different ways. It's meant, you know, it's meant fewer minutes for Ty Strickland and Ty Strickland's going to have to fight for minutes uh, even more now. And of course, Ty, we, we, we want to mention, of course, and remind people that he is coming off of shoulder surgery. So that's part of it. But, you know, again, I mean, it, it might, if Jeremiah Williams keeps this up, uh, I'm sure Hasir Miller wants to come in and play right away next, next year, because he is a, a really tough kid and a, and a competitor, but I think they're getting as much, if not more than they bargained for out of Jeremiah. Again, we keep saying this small sample size, small sample size, but again, as Aaron mentioned, they've played some of the better teams in the conference right out of the gate and they face some of the better scores right out of the gate. And to me, he keeps passing the eye test and keeps getting better. And they're, they're just, again, fans probably don't care. It's about wins and losses. They're just so much more of a fun team to cover this year. The roster, again, there's, there's just more to look at down the line with this roster, I would say. I think with Jeremiah, the moment has never looked too big for him. Maybe that Houston game a, a little bit, but just be, it looked big for, you know, everybody. I, I mean, Damian Dunn included, but, you know, after they kind of went through that, it seems he settled down. And I mean, you wouldn't the way I think Sam has mentioned this before, but the way that he's been playing, you would never be able to tell that he's a true freshman. If you look at Jeremiah's body of work, five games in the season, he has one you would call like, Based on kind of our expectation, I would say, I don't want to say that great. I don't want to say good. I don't want to say average, whatever. He has exceeded our expectations, I think, four out of those five games in terms of what we might have thought he would be for this team or what anybody might have thought he would be for this team before the season started. He had uh, the second SMU game. He missed a majority of the second half due to a cramps in his legs. Um, and he didn't exactly play the, his, his best basketball. He probably hasn't played his best, best basketball yet, but he has been really solid and impacted the game in a lot of different ways so far this season. And today he kind of bounced back from that, um, from that second SMU game. I mean, if he, you, John, you mentioned he played 30 minutes, 12 points, kind of a quiet 12 points. He wasn't exactly the one scoring a ton. He wasn't exactly the one that was, but he wasn't exactly taking all those shots. He only took five uh five on the day it was three for five from the field but as jp mormon i think said the other day like he's that he's done a really good job of controlling the offense telling guys where to be like just being that pure point guard and having a good understanding of reading the floor he makes a lot of the right passes if you look at temple's possessions where you kind of look at it and say that was a really good possession they moved the ball really well they got a great shot off that a lot of it can be credited to a pass or kind of like a hockey assist that Jeremiah Williams makes. He's been a really huge piece of having a free-flowing offense and being able to control things and having guys move without the ball on the floor. So I think I, – I don't think you can totally undersell – again, he's not perfect. He's not – we're not putting his name up in the rafters in Temple basketball lore, but through five games and what is a small sample size, he has been, without a doubt, impressive. And yeah, that, that goes from both ends of the floor. We've talked about his footwork on that Euro step. We've talked about – him getting in passing lanes. We talked about him guarding some of the better guards in the American. Like he's made a lot of really good plays. Yeah. I mean, as of now, I think I mentioned this in a, in a tweet a couple of weeks ago, they look smart for recruiting him. I mean, this is a kid that they did not get to see day in and day out. And we know what recruiting was like in the pandemic. They got him to commit without getting him on campus. And, you know, he had really like mid-major interest at, at best with a couple of high majors kind of sniffing around and, 
again, he's, he's been pretty good. I think one of the other points they are made today, I think he didn't, he say something along the lines of like, I want him to have more of a voice on the defensive end where it comes time to talking about where guys should be at the defensive end of the floor. So I, I think any coach likes being in that position where they have a freshman guard and they're like, I like what I see. I like what I see. And now I can kind of grind down on the, on these, these finer points here. So again, I think a lot of positive things to take from this game today. Uh, again, Temple will now play at Tulane on Saturday and not ECU. ECU can't play due to COVID issues there. So now Temple pivots and now they're on a flight down to Tulane this Saturday. We'd kind of heard that was coming up. And then JP Morgan kind of broke that news in the post-game press conference. He said, I'm bummed out that we're not playing ECU. Of course, he's from North Carolina. So they will play at Tulane instead. Uh, one of the other things that that Aaron talked about, I asked him what it's like down the stretch now in a game like this, because there were obviously just like any game, there there were momentum swings in this one. Temple had a couple of 10-point leads. Uh, you know, they, they bounced back in the second half, and then they almost sort of almost, you know, gave the game away in the second half. What's it like when you have moments like that where there are momentum swings where – you know, you maybe have, I don't think I put it to him like this in the question, but you think back to the, to the, you know, the, the play in transition where Jeremiah gets the steal, gets it out, outlets it out to, uh, well, didn't outlet it out, but got the ball out to, to Dre Perry for his dunk. Mm-hmm. You know, normally, and again, we know that not every game at the Leah Chorus Center is sold out, but that, that would have gotten the crowd on its feet. And it's just always dead because you're not playing in front of fans. Sam, you've been there on site. I haven't been there on site yet. You know, you've talked about how weird and eerie it is. So I asked Aaron, you know, what's it like when there are different momentum swings in the game, uh, good, bad, or indifferent? And he talked about this anecdote, which I thought was interesting. So we'll play this clip for you here. I've never played a a live game. Well, my one experience that I had, um, not to go off path, my one experience that I had is my rookie year, I played in Japan. I went to, I was with the Portland Trailblazers and we played two games, two of our opening games in Japan. And it was 20, 30,000 people in the stands. And I mean, they were so quiet, you could hear a pin drop. And it was different. It was just kind of like, it wasn't like a normal basketball game to me. But being an athlete and playing, you generate your own energy. You create your own crowd and everything else in your head. And we practice a lot. Uh, with a lot of silence. Like at the end of most of our practices, everybody's dead quiet, no balls are bouncing, and we shoot free throws. So I I grew up playing in the playground where there wasn't, you know, people out there watching and cheering. So get used to it. The game is the game. You still got to go out there and play. But the one benefit of it for me is I get the, I can yell out there and just kind of talk to those guys while they're out there. Whereas if we had fans in the stands, they pretty much wouldn't be able to hear yeah, so I thought that was cool, like him just talking about, you know, playing, you know, when he was a younger player at Temple and them going to play in front of like 30,000 plus fans in Japan, and they were just not saying much. But uh, Sam, for you, I mean, obviously you're not playing the game. What is it like if you had to explain to to fans and people who are listening to this podcast, what's it like covering games right now where there are no fans there and you don't, you can't anticipate what crowd noise is going to do? It's really strange and crowd, like... Pumped in crowd noises. I per, okay, so I didn't. Re- I was kind of pro pumping crowd noise before covering a basketball game in person. Sam's official stance on crowd noise, <laughs> just because I thought it was the kind of thing where like it makes somewhat of a difference. It's not a huge deal. It gives some. It's not just you. It's not the kind of place where you can just hear a ping drop. Like there is something. It's better something than nothing. 
But going to a game live, it felt really weird to hear fake crowd noise. Like on TV, I think it's phenomenal. But being there in person, fake crowd noise is weird. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not a fan. But it, it all comes down to the, the, the energy you're generating off the bench and on the floor. And the difference between what they're doing now and what they were playing in a similar situation last year, this is more like I don't want to call it a practice, but it's basically a practice, not playing in front of everybody, anybody. You're just, it's, it's like a scrimmage. That's really what it is. And Aaron McKee has said multiple times um, since before the season that it's like, this is how you grow up playing the game. When you, when he's like, I grew up playing on the playground. There was nobody yeah. watching. Like the intensity of the game comes from within rather than from the exterior. So you kind of have to build your own energy on the floor. You can't just feed off the energy of the crowd. When Dre makes that, when Jeremiah gets that steal, runs up the floor and bounce past it to Dre for, and uh, like a vicious, vicious dunk, the, the bench net went nuts. You have every guy on the bench up on their feet cheering. And that's the kind of energy you need both from the bench. And also like that needs to come on the floor. You need like when guys are making plays, that energy rises. And that's what I was talking about before, how in the first half it felt almost dead and sluggish. And the second half, like you start to take the air out of the building. Even when there's no one there, you can still get that similar feeling, but it's so much harder to generate that kind of energy. So down the stretch, when they have to deal with, not because when worse comes to worse, if you're not playing well and there's a crowd, you can still kind of try to feed off of any energy that's there. But if there's no crowd, it's all you're doing it yourself. So they, I think they were able to on certain plays, like kind of figure things out and kind of build that energy together as a team. And I think that comes down to not having as much experience together. Like when when you when these are your guys that you've played with for years, it's different than these are guys you've been playing with for a couple of weeks or for a couple of months, like having that energy and having that chemistry. So I think having that today. Um, was good for them that, that we, we they sort of started to feel like they had chemistry together and then they dealt with down the stretch playing as a team and figuring things out and closing out a game together. We'll talk a little bit more basketball with you when we get into the mailbag in a few minutes, but do have some football stuff to pass along. So again, the, the transfer portal is an ongoing thing and will continue to be an ongoing thing. So between last week and this week, Temple added three more players in the transfer portal, uh, two defensive linemen from North Carolina, Lansing Ture and Zach Gill. And then uh, something that we were kind of anticipating wasn't weren't really sure which direction it was going to go in, but we had heard whispers that the temple was in pretty good shape with Iverson Clement, the former four-star back four-star athlete out of Rancocas Valley high school in South Jersey. He did end up committing to temple. So now, uh, yes, you lose Ray Davis who had been suspended from the program that he decided to, to leave and enter the portal. He's headed to Vanderbilt now. So you lose Ray Davis, but now you have Iverson Clement and Rayvon Bonner from Illinois in the mix. Rayvon Bonner has a little bit more of a proven body of work playing in the Big Ten, but a lot of ability out of Iverson Clement. And again, you, you look at what you need to address with the losses on the defensive line with Chris Banks, with Ifa Maje, and of course with losing um, Arnold Ebichetti to Penn State. So uh, more, you know, and again, I think fans are still wrapping their head around this. You know, the, the guys the Temple are getting, for the most part, are guys from the Power Five conferences that aren't exactly proven yet in terms of stats, and you're losing proven statistical guys. But uh, Sam Newman, what, what do you make of these additions so far? I mean, are these steps in the right direction? I, I certainly think there are steps in the right direction. I think that they did what they needed to do. And, you know, obviously these are players who are – you know, talented enough to play at the power five level, but aren't getting the necessarily the level of playing time they would have liked, or maybe something went wrong. Coach 
left, that sort of thing. And, and you know, and somebody like Lancine Ture, you would think he was bound for Rutgers with that last name for sure. His brother, one of his brothers plays there. The other ones on the Indianapolis Colts went there through Shiano, that sort of stuff. So, I mean, to get a guy like Ture, who, um, as, as Kyle mentioned, is shot up 40 pounds. He's at 280. They're going to put two North Carolina guys in the middle uh, and um, hopefully have somebody like Iverson Clement in the backfield. And, and, and I think you, as a Temple fan, the hope was that if they're going to lose these players that hopefully, okay, are we going to be able to bring in that level of talent back? And I think on paper they have for the most part, I, I don't think that you can look at two guys who are two former four stars um, and, and get, again, stars rankings. Do they really matter in the grand scheme of things? No, but I, they are important here. Um, and then a guy like Tere is a three-star too. So I think, you know, when you look down on it and, and it's going to take some time to, to be able to determine, okay, was this, did they get in what they got out out of the transfer portal? Obviously there's still time for that to be, um, you know, still maybe more signings to come before that February signing day. But I feel like, you know, Rod Carey and his staff have, have done what they could. Um, John, you mentioned the defensive line, losing guys like Chris Banks, Ifan Maje, Arnold Ibiketti. I think they've done a good, and Dan Archibong to the NFL. I think they've done a good job of trying to mitigate those losses, bringing in a, you know, a, an established starter like Will Rogers, and then two guys with loads of potential with uh, Gil and Ture. So, um, you know, I think they're doing their best to plug holes. And, and, and it's one of those things where like, you know, you can compare it to like an, like an, uh, maybe a sports off season where you lose a lot of player, like the professional sports off season where you lose a lot of players and you, you, you go out there and get a lot of talent, but you don't know what it looks like until everybody's out in the field. So I think if they're able to get that spring ball and they're able to get these guys meshed in, I think you're going to see, you know, that this roster has talent. I mean, we are not going to go out there and predict what they're going to do, but, I think for certain that this is um, when all these play, like just to reiterate, when all these players left, I th- to get this kind of, and especially guys who have a couple of years of eligibility remaining. I mean, I don't think you could really ask for anything more than, than what they're getting. Yeah. And again, there's still a few spots that they, that can be filled and we'll see how things go. But yeah, I mean, we're looking at the two, uh, I mean, all the positions are important, but like they got hard, they got hit hardest on the defensive line. So again, we'll have to see how, how being able to plug these guys in works for them. Hopefully we'll be able to, uh, I, I don't know, it'd be useless to predict. I, I, hopefully we can be there and see some spring ball with our own eyes in late March, or early April, whenever it is. I think Rod Carey at one point said he was going to try to push it out as far as he could. And maybe, maybe this world will be in a better place with, with the, with the pandemic in April, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how, the defensive line is affected and I'll be interested to see too with, with Rayvon Bonner coming in and, and Iverson Clement. Um, we're also assuming, I guess that, that, that Clement will, will be in, in time to be enrolled and be there for, for spring ball. I believe he is. We have to confirm that, but uh, what this means for guys like Ed Sadie, Kyle Dobbins, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that, you know, affects the the backfield as well. Uh, but again, it's, it's, it's never the well, I moment. Mean- there could very well be more departures after yeah, spring ball. Sure. Just sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think another point just to add on top of what we were talking about is some of these departures allow for some guys who might've been overlooked to, you know, step up and this is your chance. I remember when Rad Carey said, okay, Chris Banks, now is this your time? But obviously Banks, you know, is thinking elsewhere. Um, guys that we've heard talked about Leighton Jordan, yeah. you know, Trayvon King, Evan Boozer came on late that season. And Manny Walker now probably has a chance to, to start where Ebiketti was. And then you have somebody maybe like Demerick Morris in the middle 
title. Um, we haven't really heard one way or another whether Kevin Robertson is coming back, but I, I guess at this point you would assume that he's he's going to stay. So I, I mean, I think it's an it's an opportunity. It's granted an opportunity, and it's just kind of you know that next next man up mentality here. I mean, Benny Walker's coming back for his, uh, you know, I think he is coming back from uh, for his eligibility free season. Yeah, he, he texted me and confirmed that he was coming back. Okay, good. So he's, we know he's coming back. But to me, again, before we get into the football mailbag here, I kind of feel he's Leighton Jordan, that next guy that you think could be that that edge rusher that that you're constantly looking to replace ever since you lost Quincy Roche to, to Miami. I mean, I feel like just the way that he's been talked up, you would just assume that it's one of those guys who's going to, because like when Quincy left, it was, it was okay. Here's it's Arnold's time. And now Arnold leaves and they're like, it's Leighton's time. So it's also mentioned he did. I think even Quincy even talked to me about, you know, saying Leto has got some potential. He's got some potential. He mentioned, mentioned Arnold mentioned him, but he would seem to be the guy to me, not the only guy, certainly. And then Trayvon King too, in the mix, and he opted out of the season. And then I, you know, some names get forgotten. Jacoby Sharp too. I believe he opted out of the season. Well, so they have, I, th- I think they have the bodies. Well, definitely, that's for sure. The the talent it remains to be seen, but I don't think this is, you know, I think we wanted to cast five alarm fires on this, and it's like, okay, it, let's see if the staff is able to develop the talent that they brought in. So let's head over to uh, both mailbags. We've got some football questions, got some basketball questions. We want to hit uh, football first, guys. Any preferences? Let's do it. We'll stick with football. No, stick with football. Um so the first football mailbag question here, again, all, these are all coming from our message board, from our alscoop.com subscribers. Uh, first question here comes from Temple J. The question is, can you provide an update on the pros and cons of the starting lineups on offense and defense after all the movement from the transfer portal? Let's go pros and cons on offense first. Sam Newman, what do you have for us? Well, I think the pros is that you're returning most of your offensive line besides Vincent Picosi. Um and, and Wagugu, you know, he laughed, but the thing is, is he, he was out, uh, he played two games for you. And that, that was when the entire roster was decimated. So I think that's a pro. And besides the fact, because he was a, you know, a long-term starter for them, he was on off the field a lot. So I think you, you return CJ Perez, Adam Klein, Isaac Moore, um, Michael Neese. They got a lot of names there. That that's a pro. Um, I think the backfield that the fact that you have a lot of faces there that seem very more than capable, that's another pro. Um, Quarterback, I think, would be your con just because there's a lot of unknowns. Um, you know, life after Anthony Russo did not seem so great, especially, I mean, we can't really cast what we saw with Trad Betty just because, you know, he took a knee to the head and and after one half of football and never played uh, again this past season. Real Mitchell, I mean, he was playing with a decimated roster, kind of looked overmatched a little bit, but again, taking the consideration everything that happened and also not having hurt. Yeah, and he got hurt as well. Mm-hmm. Um so I think the quarterback might be your quote unquote con just because there's so much unknown with that position and Deuce Mathis could be the guy, but again, they're going to need that spring ball to, to, you know, get him in there and, and get him acclimated to the offense. And who knows if he's going to, you know, stick out as quarterback one. And, um, you know, just going through in every position group, I think, you know, tight end is definitely a pro. I think you've, when they're healthy, they, they're a solid position group. I think Darius Pittman came on and, and showed you a lot. So to Dave Martin Robinson, when they stayed healthy, um, Jarman is a good third option. Even, you know, James Delapesca played a little bit. They're going to bring in Coleman Jeffcoat as a, you know, the H back kind of role, the modern tight end, what I guess Kenny Yaboa was kind of utilized in, um, you know, Picozzi is, is there as a walk on. So, um, and, 
you know, just going back, I think wide receiver right now is, is kind of at that 50, 50. Okay. If Jaden blue and Randall Jones come back, I think you can look at that as one of the team's pros. If they don't, it could be a con. I, th- I think there's a lot of potential there, especially with a lot of the guys they're bringing in, but there's still a lot of inexperience. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me too, I, I think, I mean, the, the, the biggest story of the, of the season would be if the, quarterback situation turns from a con to a pro where again again we we can only deal in some ways in the here and now um temple fans would you know with some just cause complain about anthony russo's decision making well then temple fans saw what life was like as you said sam after anthony russo or without anthony russo and it wasn't great again small sample size for trad betty a uh, small sample size for real mitchell before he got hurt um, even a small sample size for, for Matt Duncan before he was suspended, now reinstated to the team. But if I don't know if 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 Dwan Mathis comes in and gets a spring under his belt and can energize the guys around him and then he can flash anywhere near the potential that made him a high profile recruit, that's a hell of a story. Uh, and I would agree with you on some of the, the pros. I, I think even maybe uh, along those lines, too, I think you do have a couple of you know, young offensive linemen that they're confident about guys that did red shirt, like Bryce Tome and Sam Davis guys that they didn't have to play right away. Looking at some of those position battles are those guys maybe going to come in depending on where they, where they play. Do they beat out an Isaac Moore? Do they beat out um, somebody else? Does one of these guys really push a guy like Michael Neese? I would think that after all, all they've been through that Rod would probably want his experienced guys out there like CJ and Michael Neese. But um, I, I think you have, and a guy like wisdom Quarshi too. I think you have, in this situation with a lot of these positions groups, it is going to be the, if you're uh, an eternal optimist, you'd say, okay, well now I'm looking at all the young guys. So I do think there is some young energy there. And again, if, if, if Randall Jones does decide to stay and I am now completely reading the social media tea leaves, they ran something on social media featuring Randall Jones or an image of Randall Jones. I don't know if that means that Randall Jones is coming back, but if he does, and if Jaden blue does, decide to come back again. I think I mentioned this last week. The weird thing is, is that these guys are under no obligation to make any sort of announcement about whether they're coming back or not. I mean, they're, they're kind of on the roster until proven otherwise, but if they decide to come back, that shows you that they have either talked to Deuce Mathis or someone has talked to them about Deuce Mathis and they might be really juiced up and excited uh, to play for him and to play with him. The other con might be too. And again, I think they dealt with, they dealt with their share of, of on again, off again, drama with Ray Davis, but uh, until they find their bell cow back, you know, that, that also remains to be seen. But I think you also smartly pointed out, Sam, that the tight end could be a position of strength for him. I'm mildly surprised again, didn't talk to him. Don't know his situation. I'm almost kind of mildly surprised at times. And again, they're not a tight end heavy offense. I, I'm mildly surprised that, that a guy like David Martin Robinson didn't get plucked by somebody because he is, He's not this big plotting tight end. He's a guy who is athletic and can get down the field. So I think you do have some, some pros to look at there. Uh, what about the defensive side of the ball? I think one of the, the con obviously is the defensive line is, is, you know, decimated at this point in terms of, you know, just what you lost. I know if did regress again, I, I keep saying again and again, I'm sure other people would losing Arnold Nebuchadnezzar is huge, just a, a, a terrific kid really smart, really hard worker, a guy who looked, who was starting to look like a future pro. And you can see what Penn State thought of him because they take him. So, I mean, starting from that point, looking at the at the defensive line, any any pros there from the portal? I mean, we've talked about the two kids from, uh, from North Carolina. Um, you gain a guy 
you know, with experience from UConn at cornerback, any pros there to be, to be seen or to be looked at? I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, I think Will Rogers is definitely a pro just because of the experience that he brings. I mean, Manny Walker looked like, you know, at times that he could add itself. Evan Boozer came on as of late. Um, and then going to linebacker position, I mean, no, all signs kind of point to, to Will Quenku returning. I think him having another, I, I don't know why he wouldn't at this point. You would, you would think that he would return. Um, I, I don't know, but we're under the assumption that he does. And then you have three, four young linebackers that they're really excited about. Plus George Reed, who played pretty well in a secondary role. So um, I, I think the linebacker is like, you'd be cautiously optimistic. I don't know whether you look at it as a pro or con just because of the, the youth there and maybe inexperience, but there's a whole lot of talent between McGee, uh, Evandia Rigby, Kobe Wilson, um, maybe, maybe Thomas Joe Kamara, maybe I'm missing somebody, but, um, and, I, and I think the secondary is the same way, just because you don't know. Is Christian Braswell going to come back? I, that seems to be on the fence right now, um, just from what we've been hearing. Um, but, you know, all signs right now point to him staying. Keyshawn Paul, they're excited about. Um, they have, you know, a bit of younger corners after that. And it's not like, um, you know, that their depth at corner was all that great last year. Freddie Johnson and Elijah Clark were you know, and Chauncey Moore, they kind of got thrown in the mix there. And and, and, and Moore's, a, it, they converted him over the safety, but he had to play corner for them. And and those were some of the areas of Temple's defense that got exposed. But I think one of the – I think maybe one of the pros of their, of their secondary, though, is, is the safety position. Yeah. For sure. um, yeah. just, would they have that field safety position and, and Alex Odom and, and potentially Trey Blair? And then, you know, that more of that box safety, strong safety role with MJ Griffin and Amir Tyler. I, I think that – you know, it's, it's just kind of a mixed bag on both sides of the field right now. Sam Cohen, do you have anything you'd like to add here? I was going to say, if we're thinking the uh, defensive side of the ball, bringing back Amir Tyler, and if you do bring back Christian Braswell, then having a young defense, like having that experience, having elder statesmen in the secondary and having that, uh, having that experience, will, well, I would say is definitely a pro. But yes, you are, yeah, as Johnny mentioned, that front seven is essentially decimated. It's more so that defensive line, but losing Arnold Ebikitti stinks for them too did you guys say in a previous podcast that you never watched the barry gibb talk show on saturday night live i have no idea who that no. is. I, I don't even know if we meant it, if we brought that up or not. because there was a time where like i i had i think we had talked a lot of football and kicked it over to sam Cohn for basketball and i said do you have anything to add and he said no i'm good and in the barry gibb talk show it's 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 jimmy fallon playing barry gibb from the bgs and Justin Timberlake playing Robin Gibb from the Bee Gees, the late Robin Gibb. And he played up this character where Robin Gibb was the more meek and mild BG. And he would say, Robin, do you have anything to add? And he would say, no, no, I don't. <laughs> Not that Sam speaks in a British or Australian accent, but I wish. You know, it just always makes me think of that. Kyle would be giving me the, the move it along sign. If he was <laughs> true, I don't know. I'm still juiced up by watching the Bee Gees documentary. So anyway, uh, let's head to the next football mailbag question here which is uh from park al question there the article from sam and sam newman on the transfer said teray entered the portal tuesday morning and committed tuesday night any insight into that process i mean obviously we won't know that until we talk to lansing teray and hopefully we can talk to him um but i think it was just one of those things where like you know it's like they're, they're definitely back channels that teams are talking through. It's obvious to when, you know, a Temple player like David Wagugu entered the portal and that was on Rutgers uh, later that day. Okay, maybe there's some contact between familiar faces, familiar parties. It, it, I feel like all teams are doing it right now, so that might have been the case. Um, 
I can't, re- this is just us speculating at this point, but it just seems like, you know, that that's probably the process at this point. Somebody, they know somebody's looking to enter the transfer portal. Hey, we got a spot for you. That sort of thing. Um, I don't, I mean, it, it, I don't necessarily know if the NCAA would frown upon it and if it's legal at this point, but it just seems like something that, you know, all teams are doing. Yeah. I would have to think that these guys have to now, um, when they look at their recruiting depth charts and they're looking at a whiteboard in their office, I think it now takes on a whole new meaning where, you know, you're looking at by class by year, you know, how many years do we have left with this guy, that guy and whatever. Um, Now you have to redo them to see who's coming back for the eligibility free season. And now I, I think that you, you almost have to have these depth charts of guys that are playing elsewhere. Yeah. They can't talk about it publicly until, until guys, you know, enter the portal and then sign with them. But, you know, you're probably looking at, Hey, who are the guys that we have relationships with that we didn't get, but we could probably get in touch with again in a hurry, you know, like get someone on the phone and they've done that with, you know, they had relationships that, you know, these guys have recruiting relationships with guys in the Midwest. Um, you know, they know people in the Midwest when it came time to getting somebody like Deuce Mathis. Um, you know, I don't know how much they talked to a kid like MJ Griffin at one point, MJ and, and Deuce were at the same uh, playing, I think for the same Pop Warner program. We're at the same high school. MJ went from Belleville to Saline High School near Ann Arbor um, or in Ann Arbor. I forget where it is close by. Um, they probably somewhere in some way, shape or form have depth charts with guys that are that are elsewhere because that is really like it or not uh when you when you talk to some coaches where the game is going I, I think i mentioned this before again i think done are the days where you're signing 20 or 25 guys you're, you're going to keep recruiting high school guys but i think the transfer portal is really going to hit high school students more than than any other area and i think if you're unless you are a future heisman trophy candidate I can, I think the days are over of guys just kind of vacillating back and forth. Like, Oh, I can commit decommit, hold out for something else. I think when you commit, you really need to hold on to your offer now because there aren't going to be as many around. I think some of these coaches again are going to say, why would I sign 25 kids when I can sign 12 or 15 and then get a few impact transfers? Because once those impact transfers come to you in the first time around, it's harder for them to transfer the second time around. So I do think it's, it's more common than not now to see things come together, as Sam said, uh, pretty quickly. Next question here uh, from West coast. Al will temple have any interest in the Njoku brothers? Um, He is referring to the younger brothers of David Njoku, Cleveland Browns tight end, uh, a player that temple did recruit, tried to recruit when, uh, he was playing up in North Jersey. They didn't get him. Uh, he's referring to Evidence Njoku and Charles Njoku from UCLA. West Coast Al, to be honest with you, I have no idea. I, I don't know that I've heard any discernible chatter about it. Uh, that doesn't mean that that it's not happening. Um, but I haven't heard anything. Uh, to, to be honest with you, I can't say I've heard anything concrete about it. Um Going over to the basketball mailbag, just double checking to see if we got any post-game questions here from emotionally charged up fans. I don't believe that we did, but um, looking at the basketball mailbag uh, question there, first one from another one from Temple J. Can you speculate on any bigs we may be interested in? So Temple J is referring to, um, that third scholarship, which initially looked like it was going to go to Brandon Sanders, the, the big from Florida, Brandon Sanders did not sign in the early period. Again, in case you don't know, we've explained this before college coaches cannot comment on players 
until they've signed a national letter of intent. So it's not like we could, you know, get Aaron McKee, Chris Clark on this podcast and say, Hey, what happened with Brandon Sanders? We can only assume that maybe somewhere down the line, he ends up at temple after prepping, but uh, I I would imagine that they're going to hold that the third scholarship for a transfer. And again, I would, I would employ the same line of thought there. I don't have any names for you, Temple J, but I, I don't think that, um, I don't think they're going to take a chance on a project big from the high school level. I think that, you know, if I'm a fan uh, late in the season, I would keep my eye on bigs in the transfer portal and see who Temple gets involved with, because, you know, you will be bringing in Sage Tolbert. You'll be bringing Jake Forrester back. Um, I know that Aaron and a lot of coaches don't say now we want to play with a, a you know a traditional big with his back to the basket, but um, I wonder how another big could help a guy like Jake Foster to a lesser extent um, or Ashma Parks and really anybody else on the floor. But um, again, don't have any discernible names for you, but my advice would be th- th- to keep your eye on the, on the transfer portal down at the, at the end of the season. Because again, if you're Aaron McKee, just like anybody else, why would you try to take a chance on a project big when you can get a guy who maybe is in the mold of a Sage Tolbert, a guy who's proven has film out there, uh, a guy who's a proven athlete, whether he's a shot blocker or whether he can just score off a of putbacks or whatever. I think that's what they're going to be going for. I don't know how you guys feel about it. If you'd agree or disagree there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the transfer portal is the best place to look for that. And I, where they're at now, we've talked about this year being a, quote unquote, rebuilding year, figuring things out. They did have a lot of new pieces next year. They could be a really dangerous team in the American. If they kind of paint out the way that a lot of people think they're gonna, and they're bringing in two, um, two really strong recruits in Hasir Miller and Zach Hicks, both have a lot of potential. Um, Zach Hicks would likely play more the wing potentially yeah. the front court, but you most likely the wing Hasir is another point guard you're bringing in behind Jeremiah Williams. So to be able to go out to the transfer portal and bring another big similar to Sage Tolbert, I think would be huge. If someone, if that person, as you mentioned, is not a project that has established skill film and you can bring them in and they could be an impact right away, especially because you might, you may lose. We don't know for sure. They could come back because it's no eligibility for a year, but there is the potential of losing both JP Mormon, Andre Perry, one, both some combination of, of those two guys, just something to keep in mind. I also think adding somebody like Sage Tolbert, like, of his mold would allow you to play somebody like Nick Jordan at more of the four, which seems more of his natural position than, than playing the five, which would, you know, and he, his look like he's belonged so far. So I, I think that's definitely a point to keep in mind as well. Uh, sorry. I, I, you know, I need to head back over to the football board, realize I, I skipped over a mailbag question here from D blaze 75 uh, question there. What is your very early read on the QB room heading into the spring? How do you think the competition shakes out heading into the opener? Hmm. I, I guess I'll take this one. I, I think it's up for grabs at this point. I think, you know, like John said earlier when we were just talking that if Mathis can come in and, you know, take the take his opportunity by the horns and, and kind of rally up the offense and, and get it under his belt, and sure, he's the starter. But I think you have to look at, okay, there's Strad Batty, Real Mitchell, Matt Duncan, Mariana Valente. I, I mean, those are four guys right there that, that can definitely push um, – for the starting position. I think right now it's, it's, it's as open as a competition as you know, the program has had in, in quite um, since what Collins was ahead Collins's first year. It, it probably is going to be like that. Um, and, and I mean, they, they raved about how trad Betty and, and real Mitchell pushed Anthony Russo. So I think it's just going to be one of those where it's like, okay, if they can get Deuce Mathis on the field by like 
hopefully they get, you know, in spring ball and hopefully they can get him into the program and into their strength training program and everything like that and into their offense. And, you know, I'm sure they would probably hope that they're bringing in, you know, you get somebody that big of a name in the transfer portal, you would hope he'd be the starter. And I think, you know, they never promised that to him, but he would his hope would be the starter. I, I think you go in there maybe saying he probably has like a 50, 55% chance just looking at it right now, but so, so many dominoes had to fall, especially with the pandemic. Yeah. And again, we, we need to confirm it. We've reached out, haven't talked to Dwan Mathis yet. I don't know that he's really talked to anybody really that much on the record since he decided to transfer, you know, on signing day, Rod Carey said, we're, we're excited. To, and I'm paraphrasing here. Of course he said, he, we're excited. He's coming in to compete. He knows he's going to have to come in to compete. I mean, you're looking at maybe the single biggest, and I know it's cliche to pick the, the quarterback position, but I think you're looking at the single biggest storyline there because of Dwan Mathis's history, I think, again, whether it is – I have yet to meet the guy, whether it is a fair or unfair perception, the perception is that he's a super talented guy who has bounced around a little bit, verbally committed and decommitted a couple of times before he ended up at Georgia. You know, he started – again, just to remind our listeners, he started Georgia's season opener. I mean, you're talking about Temple just got a guy that was an SEC starting quarterback on opening day in 2020. And – you know, lost the job, got dinged up in that opener. And so some people from the outside looking in might say, and again, this, this, this could be completely unfounded. They might say, how much does this kid love competition? Well, now he's going to come in and really have to compete. And Sam, I, I agree with you. I think it's as wide open as it can be. If you're, if you're looking at it on paper, Dwan Mathis should be able to come in and win this job, but I don't know, Matt Duncan, and I'm not trying to you know, pump this up for theater, but Matt Duncan did show him some things they like. Um, Mariano Valente is a guy that they had recruited. He wasn't a walk on at Northern Illinois. He was a guy that they had recruited to Northern Illinois. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he does. Um, you know, Justin Lynch, uh, I didn't get that mixed up, right? Justin Lynch, not Jordan Lynch. Jordan Lynch was the older brother. Justin Lynch comes in again. I think they're super high on him, but he's going to be 17. As we've mentioned before, I think that their, their hope there would be to, to redshirt him, but, um, again, another reason 548 in addition to just getting back to normal life. Uh, I would I'd love to be able to see some semblance of spring ball to be there to cover it. Uh, I think it's going to be the single biggest storyline. So for us to say that we have any sort of read on it would, would be dishonest. And again, we're not entirely, entirely sure just yet that he's going to be there for, uh, for spring ball just yet. Um, I think that would be the goal when I'm talking about Mathis, but yeah, that's, uh, that's as open as it can be uh, of a position. So um, I don't know how it's going to shake out heading into the opener. My guess would be that, I don't know if I were to, to pare it down to two guys, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Duncan and uh, Duncan and Mathis just to throw a couple darts at the wall. Again, Real Mitchell, small sample size, you know, um, we'll have to see what happens there. And I think what you will see again, just a total guess, but I think after spring ball, however, it does shake out. I think you'll see one of these guys leave, you know, uh, Kamal gray as a walk on now, again, I don't know, maybe if he plays really well in the spring, does he push someone again? Uh, he was obviously thrown into a, a, a tough, tough situation as the fifth string QB playing with a, a very depleted offense. But yeah, you're looking at the most intriguing position group there. Uh, again, bouncing back over, to the basketball board again as my nimble fingers work back over to the <laughs> to the the basketball board i should have just had two two windows open here uh we did have one basketball question left um 
any update on Caliph Battle and Jaleel White? So um, two-part answer here, and I'll kick the second part over to Sam because you saw Caliph Battle working out today after the game. Uh, and this question comes from Temple2621 is the screen name there. So if you listen back to our podcast with Chris Clark last week, I did ask um, I asked him about Jaleel White and about um, about Sage Tolbert, and he said that both guys haven't really been practicing. Jaleel was practicing before he got hurt. Um, with Caliph Battle, again, Aaron was asked about him again this week, talked about how they're still trying to bring him along slowly from the hamstring industry, industry injury. Um, I asked Aaron, you know, when they had media availability earlier in the week, how much could that open the floor up for even more? Aaron talked about, yeah, he's a shooter. Could be another guy who who creates even more space, takes some heat off of Brendan Barry. Sam, you saw you saw him working out after the game today as you were finishing your story, and you see he looked like he was again. We're talking about a couple guys just shooting around and working out lightly, but you said he was moving around pretty good, right? Yeah. So um, after the game, there were five guys that I was just, I was I think the last media member there working on my story, and I believe it was Jeremiah Williams, Quincy Adam McCoy, Nick Jordan, Arashma Parks. And that might've been it um, working out, getting shots up after, Oh, and Jake Forster getting shots up after the game um, just came back out on the floor soon after the press conference wrapped up. Um, and we're just getting shots up. Jake Forster working on some post moves. Time goes probably 20 minutes, half an hour goes by and all of them are gone. Uh, and Nick Jordan is, was out there for a while working on post moves by himself. And then Caleb battle comes out in street clothes. Well, sweatpants and t-shirt and the two of them start playing one-on-one. This isn't exactly the most intense game of one-on-one ever, but I was able to get some, semblance of a glimpse at Caleb battle moving, which we haven't really seen happen at all. Um, and he seemed like he was moving. Okay. I mean, Aaron McKee had said it was the kind of thing where it was before the NJIT game uh, in practice that he had hurt his hamstring and he made it seem like maybe they had tried to bring him back or like ease him into practice, but that he had maybe done that. He had done some serious, that he had probably done some serious damage to his hamstring. It's the kind of thing where you shut him down because he doesn't want it to happen again. So that's probably the reason he's not, maybe not fully practicing and he's definitely not playing. We don't really know for sure how much he's practicing if at all, but seeing him move around playing one-on-one with Nick Jordan, he looked not, not saying he's ready to go against, um, against Tulane this Saturday or against uh, I think Cincinnati's next week. I'm not, I'm not saying he's ready to go out on the floor and play 30 minutes, but he looked okay. He looked like he was moving around. Okay. He didn't seem like he had an, a limp or anything. He wasn't grabbing onto his hamstring. He seemed, he seemed like he was moving around pretty well. So I wouldn't be surprised if within the next couple of weeks, he's back on the floor. Yeah. And, and again, talking about a, a, a little bit of a different scenario with some of these guys. Again, when I asked Chris last week, do you think we'll see Jaleel this year? Do you think we'll see Sage this year? And at the end of the day, Chris said, yeah, I think it'll be up to those guys and whether they feel they're ready. And if they really trust their bodies and they're ready to go, Aaron will kind of read things that way. I think Aaron always tries to toe the line of, yes, I'm a competitor. Yes, I want to win. Uh, but he was, he's also very cautious with the futures of his players. And I think he's even more so this year because, uh, and again, I'm speculating a little bit here, Every injury is tricky, but a hamstring is really tricky. And if Caleb Battle has a chance to be one of your cornerstone pieces moving forward, because he was a hell of a player in high school, he was a, a pretty significant recruit, uh, flashed a little bit of what he could do last season at Butler. A hamstring is a really tricky injury. And if you are in situations where you get into a certain rhythm of practicing and playing, and then there's another pause and another shutdown, and now it's like, well, you literally can't practice as hard as you can now, unless you literally grabbed the whole team and went to a, a 
you know, to some sort of clandestine practice at a, at a, a playground somewhere in the city, you can't do that. And I wonder how that affects the hamstring industry. Yeah, I keep saying industry instead of injury. <laughs> I don't know why, what an odd mix up there. Uh, but, uh, I'm really intrigued to see what he can do because he could really help stretch the floor for them even more. I mean, he's a, he's a volume shooter and a volume scorer at his best. And I mean, who couldn't use that, but especially temple again, I'm really intrigued to see if he's on the floor at the same time as Brendan Barry and people have to try to close out on him. There's another guy that keeps defenses honest. So um, we'll have to see what happens there. But again, I think that's one of the most exciting pieces about this team is short-term and long-term. You're seeing some signs of real progress without some key pieces that aren't on the floor. And even if Jaleel and Sage are not on the floor until next season, um, they are going to be pieces of your future. Uh, Caleb Battle obviously being the guy that could be closer to playing again. We don't know how soon, but again, Sam, you saw a little bit of a glimpse of him today. Yeah, just to your point about like what Caleb, I think, and as Aaron McKee mentioned, as we've all talked about a hundred times, is when Caleb Battle gets back on the floor, he will give some some kind of we expect him to give some kind of production offensively. He's not in the same conversation as Sage Tolbert and Julia White in terms of injuries and when they're coming back. Caleb Battle is a real chance to play serious minutes and you know placing it playing some pretty significant games throughout the rest of conference play if he is able to come back soon. I think the most interesting thing that I'm look, I guess looking forward to finding out is if he does come back, say in the next two, within the next two weeks, Brendan Barry has proven he's now the sixth man in this rotation. Brendan yeah. Barry has proven that he can play 30 plus minutes, can knock down some big shots and can play a pretty big role in this offense. Jeremiah Williams has definitely proved he can be the starting point guard. Damian Dunn has definitely proved that he can be the team's leading scorer. Um, Kai Strickland hasn't exactly proven that he's there yet. Quincy Adam McCoy is taking a step forward, is taking steps forward. Um, but when Caleb Battle enters this rotation, where do you see the minutes go between Barry, Dame Dunn, and Jeremiah Williams? I think those are the three you're looking at because Aaron McKee said um, when Caleb Battle enters the enters the rotation, you're gonna be it's gonna he said it's gonna be cool to see Damien Dunn on one side mm-hmm. and Caleb Battle on the other in terms of guys that can score from the perimeter, guys that can play off the ball. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the rotation works of if Jeremiah is the one on the ball, then Damien Dunn, Brendan Barry, and Caleb Battle, how those guys work into the rotation. Likely maybe they go small ball and that's the lineup where they use two of those guys with JP at the five, but just interesting to see how the, how, how the minutes um, dispersion goes. Well, really interesting to see because when they would talk about Caleb in the past, they would, I, I think if you'd say, what's one thing he has to work on. And a lot of times whether it was Chris or maybe Aaron, they'd say he's got to work on his ball handling. I don't expect him to be a guy who handles the ball a lot. So again, he is going to be one of those guys. You can say, okay, can you position him at one end or another end of the floor? But yeah, again, a, a pleasant problem to have, but really it's getting interesting. And again, I'm not saying the temple can just pick and choose to do whatever it wants. They are not five and Oh, they're, they're two and three, but you can start to see certain things coming together. Yeah. Again, a guy like Quincy Adam McCoy is starting to get more run and, and Aaron's starting to have a little bit of a longer leash with him. Uh, you know, Chris, when we were, when we had Chris on the podcast last week, he said, you're going to start to see more of Quincy and sure enough, we've seen more of Quincy and they've kind of, it looks like in certain cases. And again, Sam, you're there, you were there today. You can see the body language a little bit more, um, they've had a quick hook with him a couple times if he's made mistakes defensively, but they've given him a little bit more leeway there. So, and, and he's, 
you know, there have been a couple of times where I think he's looked a little overwhelmed on defense and a little less confident. But again, moment today where he puts one off the side of the backboard, right, and then comes back and, and drains a three. So you can see the shooting motions there. But yeah, I mean, I don't think they're, again, they're a two and three basketball team. Can't emphasize that enough. But it's not like they're an 0 and 5 team where they're like, completely shooting blanks all the time where they're like, we'll take anybody. We really kill if we need you to come in and, and he's going to play 35 minutes right away. It's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, how they work him into things here. Yeah. I think we were talking about this earlier in the pod, but um, just the, the idea that like how, how this offense works when Brendan Barry isn't the guy knocking down five. Mm-hmm. We saw a second game of SMU. He hit his first five threes and the second half SMU totally changes their game plan to take him out of the game. Then what do you do? When you have Brandon Barry, who today went two for four from deep, you have to look to other guys to score. And today, Dre Perry was that guy that kind of stepped up to have multiple options to score. That's how this team's going to win basketball games. When they, when you have one guy, when when defense is key in on one guy, you have to have other guys, second, third, fourth options that can make plays, make things happen, put the ball in the hole. And Caleb Bauer just gives you another one of those options. So that'll only help this team, I assume. Yeah, just to close things out, guys, a final point, not a mailbag question, but is that the thing that you might be most optimistic about with this team? Because, again, I think any team, for the most part, talks about, oh, yeah, you know, we don't have to have we don't have to have just one guy saving us every day and every night. We have multiple guys that we think can win games for us. But Temple really hasn't been able to walk that walk for a while. And again, I mean, they've certainly had some great players. I mean, like it's also on the flip side of it. It's fun to watch and cover someone like, you know, a Khalif Wyatt or a Deontay Christmas or, you know, someone like that, even to a lesser extent, maybe uh, not to a lesser extent necessarily, but Quentin DeCozy, you know, Quentin Rose. But again, what that, what that leaves you liable to is again, the ball sticking to one side of the floor. Sometimes is this maybe the first time where you've seen clear evidence again, albeit a small sample size where you think, yeah, they actually could be telling the truth here when they're talking about having multiple guys that could win a game for us. Could that be the thing that, that, you know, that you're maybe most optimistic about when you look at this team? I would say without a doubt that um, looking at this roster, like Aaron McKee has said that he's comfortable playing a nine, 10, even maybe 11 man rotation. If he feels like he's a got the talent and B his guys have the conditioning for it. If they have that many guys that can make plays and he can keep fresh legs on the floor at all times and keep these games competitive. That is a huge, huge plus for this team. Houston beat them with depth. SMU beat them with depth. Aaron McKee said after the game today that in the second halves of, of their three losses, that his guys just weren't the same. They didn't have that same energy. They've been gassed. They weren't able to produce for an entire game. If you can have another guy, another piece of depth to create and to facilitate and be a guy that can put the ball in the hoop, that is huge for this team. And I think personally, I think the most optimistic thing, I like my biggest optimism, optimism piece, I don't know. I don't know. For me, the biggest, <laughs> for me, the biggest thing Sounds is like that, a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> for me, the biggest thing is that they, they are getting better each game. They look like the chemistry is growing. They have multiple guys in that backcourt that can score the ball. If you look at Jeremiah Williams, Brendan Barry, and Damian Dunn, Ty Strickland looks good until he takes the shot. Like he's able to, like he's able to make good moves. He just hasn't got his touchback. Maybe that comes from, so whatever they have those backcourt pieces, they're bringing another one and they still have Caleb battle, Jaleel white and Sage Tolbert who all haven't played yet. And those are all going to be really, really important pieces at both ends of the floor for this team. I think that for me is the biggest thing is like, they look good. They are getting better. They still have three guys that could make 
huge differences, huge impacts, and could all potentially be starters on this team. All right. Well, thanks for sticking with us for another episode of The Scoop. Before we close things out, uh, I did want to pay tribute to um, to a former colleague of mine and a former colleague of, of so many people across uh, the country in the media industry. Um, and further proof that 2021 hasn't looked much better than 2020. Uh, we lost Brian Monroe this week. He's uh, a, a super accomplished journalist that Temple was really lucky to have as a professor. Brian Monroe had worked at CNN and so many other places. Uh, passed away this week at the age of 55, way too young uh, from a heart attack. Um, both Sam's here. I know that you guys didn't have a chance to have a class with him, but I've talked to so many students who did. And um, and I, I wish I had more time to spend with them, was able to be around him a few times and such a, a wonderfully warm and, and accomplished human being. I mean, even if you just Google the guy and, and if you're not familiar with him, um, his list of career accomplishments go on and on and on. And uh, he's just been an essential part of the Klein College of Media and Communication at Temple, worked for CNN Politics. Um, I mean, really had one of the last major interviews with with Michael Jackson uh, before Michael Jackson passed away, but just a real giant in journalism um, with NABJ. And uh, again, we were lucky to have him at Temple for as long as we did and just wanted to, to pay tribute to him before signing off here. Just a wonderful human being. Again, he had so many other people in his life that knew him better than I did, but uh, just wanted to pay tribute to him before we sign off here. So again, thanks again for listening this week. Uh, thanks for continuing to listen and subscribe to the podcast and we will talk to you soon.